We'll wait a minute here. Good morning. Um, our scripture reader today is from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, Cindy. I feel like I'm in a Branson show. Costume change. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Branson is in Missouri where I grew up, and everybody's a redneck. Okay, yeah. I don't know. Do you guys have rednecks in Wisconsin? Oh, yeah, okay, okay. I'm in good company. <laughs> My name is Andy. Uh, thanks for joining us for worship. We're going to uh, open our Bibles to Ecclesiastes 5. And uh, Cindy read um, in the ESV, I'm going to be preaching from the NLT this morning. I like the ESV translation, but I really like the NLT sometimes because it does a good job, especially in Ecclesiastes, of capturing the sarcasm. So Solomon, I, one of the things I really love about Ecclesiastes is it's full of sarcasm, and, and I love, I just love that um, little sarcastic bent. And so I, I like the way that, uh, that the NLT translates it, so that's what I'll be using. But as we get into this passage, I don't know if you've been paying attention to this on the news lately, uh, but in the, it seems like in increasing in popularity are these deconversion stories. You know, these are stories of, of high, usually high-profile Christians who are leaving their faith and they'll post on Instagram or social media or they'll be interviewed by some newspaper or whatever, uh, you know, oh, deconversion, I, I've left the faith, I'm blah, 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 blah. And there have been a lot of these in the last few years. I mean, this has been an ongoing problem, but it's become more and more popular these days. Um, in 2019, Marty Sampson, who was a, who's a, uh, was a singer and songwriter with Hillsong, uh, posted that he, he was losing his faith and stepping away from Christianity. Also in 2019, Joshua Harris, who was a pastor and a best-selling author of multiple Christian books, announced that he was no longer a believer in Jesus. Um, 2020, Jonathan Steingard, the lead singer of the Christian rock band Hawk Nelson, uh, announced that he, he said, you know, 
grew up uh, in a pastor's home. My dad was a pastor, uh, you know, had his whole career of, of singing uh, with a Christian band, but I'm no longer a Christian. Just this year, uh, Kevin Max, who was a singer with DC Talk, you know, I remember DC Talk back in the 90s, um, that just powerhouse Christian band, and Kevin Max came out this year and said uh, he's no longer a Christian. Now, he still believes in some version of God and Jesus, just not the version of God and Jesus that's revealed in the Bible. Uh, or I just read a couple of days ago about a, a professor and author, a, a guy that's got a PhD in theology and has taught theology in universities and written numbers of books named Paul Maxwell. He used to be a, a writer for the blog Desiring God, which is John Piper's blog. And Paul Maxwell just came out and said, I'm no longer a Christian and I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. And, uh, you know, uh, I remember a few months ago, I watched a young woman giving a, a TED talk. And she was talking about how she grew up in a Christian home and, and her, her dad was a street preacher and they used to set up these street evangelism uh, revivals and, and tent preachers and all this stuff. And she said um, that since leaving her faith, she's never been happier in her life than when she left Jesus behind. So the, the question that I have as we're, as we're looking at these ever growing in popularity, these deconversion stories, is why do so many people find so little meaning in their Christian faith? I think that's the question that Solomon is wrestling with in Ecclesiastes 5. Why do people find so little meaning in their faith? My Christian faith is the most valuable thing that I have. It's the most meaningful part of my life. So why do, why do so many other people find so little value, so little meaning in their faith? How can so many people spend years and years and years, sometimes decades, going through all the motions of Christianity, going to church, singing the songs, giving in the offering, joining the small groups, doing the Bible studies, year after year after year, some of them even going to seminary and graduate school and getting doctorate degrees and then deciding this isn't for me. It has virtually no impact in their lives. How does that happen? Let's make it a little more personal. Is my faith meaningful to me? Is your faith meaningful to you? Has it had an impact in your life? If you were not a Christian, what would be different in your life other than your Sunday morning routine? Would anything really change in your life? Has your faith impacted you? Does it have significant meaning in your life? And I think what Solomon is talking about in Ecclesiastes 5 is the vanity of empty faith. Faith that has no impact, no meaning, no significance is really pointless. There's no sense in going through all the motions and going to church on a Sunday morning and singing the songs and being in the small groups if it doesn't actually have meaning in your life. It doesn't actually significantly impact you. What are we doing? We're just wasting our time is what he says. It's the vanity of an empty faith. And I think as we'll read through these uh, seven verses in a little more depth, what we'll see is that Solomon tells us the reason why people find so little meaning in their faith is because they don't hear God speak and they don't experience a change of heart. If we are, if we are going through the motions of Christianity but we are not hearing God speak and experiencing an ongoing change of heart in our lives, 
then we're not going to have very much meaning or significance in our faith. And some of these people that are coming out with their deconversion stories, I just wonder, when was the last time they heard God speak to them? And have they really experienced a change of heart? Or was it just something else? Was it just a really good uh, explanation of the world until they met somebody smarter who wasn't a Christian who provided a really good explanation of the world and so they switched? Or was it just a big emotional feeling? And then the emotions ran out and they had no substance to their faith so they decided it wasn't worth it. What, what, What was the point? Did they experience a change of heart? Did they hear God speak? Solomon says, if we're not hearing God speak and we're not experiencing a change of heart, then we're not going to have any meaning to our faith. The, the, the implication then is the opposite. If we want a meaningful faith, we need to hear God speak and experience heart change. So let's look at each of those things in turn. First of all, a meaningful faith comes from hearing God speak. That's what Solomon's talking about in the first three verses of Ecclesiastes 5. And again, I'm reading from the NLT. As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God. Don't make rash promises and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven and you are here on earth. So let your words be few. Too much activity gives you restless dreams. Too many words make you a fool. See What Solomon is talking about is, look, meaningful faith or meaningful spirituality, or meaningful religion, whatever word you want to use, I don't care. Meaningful faith comes not from our own self-expression. It comes from God's self-expression. See, what makes spirituality meaningful is not that I get to self-express my own spiritual ideas and my own spiritual identity and I get to self-express that. No, if that's all we have, if we make this whole Christianity thing all about me and my self-expression, then it's going to be pretty shallow because, I'm, to be honest, I'm fairly shallow. There's not going to be a lot of meaning in it. Meaning and value in our faith doesn't come from our own self-expression. It comes from God's word from God's voice, from God's Holy Spirit speaking directly to us. Yes, God still speaks today. God did not just just inspire the pages of Scripture and then step back away from our world to have no personal interaction with us while we somehow try to figure out the timeless principles from an ancient culture written in languages that are dead today that aren't even spoken, and somehow we're supposed to figure that out with no help from God. Yes, the Bible is God's inspired word and he speaks through it, but he also speaks directly to us today. And if we're not hearing from God, we're not going to have a meaningful faith. It's meaningless, it's vain, it's pointless. See, what Solomon is saying is, look, we need to hear God speak more than God needs to hear us speak. That's what brings value to our faith. When God speaks more than we do. See, he says in verse 2, After all, God is in heaven and you're here on earth, so let your words be few. See, God is God, we're not. God is all loving, I'm not. God is immortal, I'm not. God is eternal, I'm not. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I don't. God is all powerful, I'm not. God is all knowing, I'm not. God is all wise, I'm not. God is in heaven and I'm here on earth. Why do I think that God needs my advice on how to run the universe? 
I spend five minutes in prayer and the whole time I'm telling God everything that I want him to do and then I say in Jesus' name, amen, and walk away and God hasn't even had time to get a word in edgewise. That's not what makes for a meaningful faith. It's far more valuable that I just close my mouth and listen and hear God speak to me. That's when there's significance. That's when there's purpose. That's when there's meaning. That's when there's value. When we hear God speak. So how do we do that? It's one thing to say we need to hear God speak, but how can we actually hear God speak? He does still speak, so how do we do that? Well, first of all, we need to be quiet. I love what Solomon says. As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. (laughs) I love the NLT translation of this passage. You ever hear the old saying that, that God gave us two ears and one mouth so that we would listen twice as much as we speak? Right? That's true. We want to hear God speak. We actually need to stop talking and give God an opportunity to speak. We need to be quiet. Another thing that we need to do if we want to hear God speak is we need to silence the noise and distraction. God speaks, but his voice can be hard to hear. 1 Kings chapter 19 tells us about this. God is speaking to the prophet Elijah. Verse 11, he says, Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast, the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? See, God speaks, but his voice is a gentle whisper. It's not an audible whisper. I mean, some people have heard the audible voice of God. I I know people that have. I personally haven't. But his voice is described as a gentle whisper, a still small voice that whispers in your heart. And in order to hear him, we need to silence the noise and the distraction. See, we live in a world that is polluted with noise. Noise everywhere. We constantly fill up all the cracks and spaces in our lives with noise. We have our radios going all the time. We have the TV blaring in the background. We're always listening to an audiobook or a podcast as we're driving or as we're sitting. Even when we go to the bathroom, we sit there and do this. Because... We're afraid to sit in silence. It's not just audible noise. It's the the digital noise. It's information noise. It's constantly distracting our brains so we don't have to listen to God. We live in a world that's polluted with noise. I read a really interesting story in the news recently about an acoustic ecologist named Gordon Hempton. Uh, He has devoted his career to studying natural soundscapes from around the world. He's traveled all over the world and he's recorded different soundscapes, which are just the the sounds of nature. And he's analyzed them and cataloged them and recorded them and, and archived them. And he's dedicated his life to this and to studying the difference between nature sounds and man-made sounds and the effect that it has on human well-being and flourishing. And, and it's a pretty interesting article. But in the course of that article, he says this. He says, at least at last count here in the United States, East of the Mississippi River, there were only a dozen places where it was possible to have a noise-free experience, a purely natural experience, for longer than 15 minutes during sunrise. 
east of the Mississippi River, it is, there's only 12 places in the entire country where you can go more than 15 minutes without hearing a car or a cell phone or a radio or an air conditioner or a factory or some other kind of man-made sound. You can't do it. There's only 12 places. Our world is polluted with noise. And, and now Gordon Hempton is going deaf, so he has a personal stake in uh, studying soundscapes and recording these things. But I thought it was really interesting when he said at the end of the story, in our noise-saturated society, we have lost something even more precious than our hearing, and that is our ability to listen. We don't listen to one another. We don't listen to God. We're too distracted by the noise. So if we want to hear God speak, we need to be quiet and we need to silence the noise and the distraction. And that means we need to face our fear of silence because we are afraid to sit with our own thoughts. Ian Provon, one of the commentators that I read on this passage, said, silence gives us too much time to think and thinking raises too many awkward questions we do not wish to address about the nature of reality and our personal identity and destiny. We live in a culture that feels a deep need to push reality as far away as possible and uses noise to this end. When you hear God speak, we need to be quiet, we need to silence the noise and the distraction, and we need to listen. Actively engage in listening. Here's what that looks like for me. I thought I would just share this. This is a, uh, my quiet time guide. This is what I do. I get up in the morning before the rest of my family and I, I sit on the couch with my coffee and my Bible and my journal. And these are the, the four steps that I take. You can make this as, as short or as long as you want. If you do this and aim for about a half an hour, you'll spend probably 10 minutes talking to God and about 20 minutes listening, which is what we want, to listen more than we speak. So here's what I do, and, and th- these are four easy steps to a quiet time guide. Anybody can do this. First of all, I begin with a prayer of devotion. What does that look like? Something like this. Lord, thank you for this day and giving me this day. I choose today to live for you. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That's it. What's that take? About 10 seconds to choose to give this day to God. And then I begin to engage with God in Scripture. Now, I go back and forth between reading devotionals. I've been, lately, I've been reading uh, Morning and Evening by Charles Spurgeon. My favorite devotional is My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. I also really like Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. I, I go back and forth between reading devotionals or reading Scripture directly. I mean, whatever, however you engage with Scripture... Whether it's, whether it's reading directly, whether it's in-depth study, whether it's reading a devotional, I don't care. Just engage with God in his word. Read it slowly. Read it carefully. Chew on it. You don't have to read a big chunk at a time. You don't have to get worried about checking 18 boxes off of a massive Bible reading plan. Just engage with God in scripture. And then take about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever you want, to listen quietly. Set a timer and just sit in the presence of God. Now, in that time, you're going to think of all kinds of thoughts. Don't think of those thoughts as distractions. Consider whether or not God might be putting some of those thoughts in your heart. Maybe he is. Then the last step is to respond to what thoughts come. I like to do that in a journal by writing. You can also talk directly with God about that. 
What were you thinking about? What stood out to you in the passage or the devotional that you were reading? Where do you, do you see something uh, stirring in your heart? Talk to God about that. It's okay to say, God, I don't understand anything that I read in that passage. I don't know how it applies to my life, but I would like to. Can you help me? That's great. While you're listening, maybe you, maybe you were thinking of, of a coworker. Maybe that coworker just kept coming to your mind. Okay, I don't know why I was thinking about them, but I'm going to take a moment and pray that your blessing would be poured out on their life. Or thinking about a neighbor who doesn't know Christ, I'm going to pray that you would give me an opportunity to show the love of Christ to them this week. Or maybe you thought about something uh, that you said to your kids or to your spouse or to a friend that wasn't that kind. Okay, I'm going to go and apologize. I've had all those experiences multiple times. The point is we just take time to listen and to talk to God about what we hear. And if we do this consistently over and over, eventually we will learn to recognize God's voice speaking to us through his word and through his spirit in our hearts. And that's what brings meaning to our faith. If we're not hearing God speak, there really isn't any point in going through all the motions of religion. A second thing that brings meaning to our faith is experiencing a change of heart. It comes from hearing God speak and it comes from actually being transformed at a fundamental heart level by the Holy Spirit. That's what Solomon's getting at in verses four through seven of Ecclesiastes five. He says, when you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through for God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin and don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that the promise you made was a mistake. That would make God angry, and he might wipe out everything you've achieved. And I love verse 7. This kind of summarizes the whole thing. Talk is cheap, like daydreams and other useless activities. Fear God instead. See, what Solomon's getting at there is, is he's talking about people who go through the motions of worship but don't actually have a change of heart. They're going through all the right actions and motions of practicing their faith, but their heart isn't in it. And Solomon says, if your heart's not in it, all of that action and all of that effort and all of that religious stuff that you're doing is pointless, it's meaningless, it's vain. He's talking about people that come to church on Sunday morning and and sing the songs, but the songs aren't true of our hearts. And we... Your grace is enough, your grace is enough, your grace is enough for me. Is that actually true? If everything else in my life was taken away, but I had God's grace, would I have enough? Would I be satisfied? Or do I say, well, yeah, okay, I'm glad that I have your grace, but in order to feel validated as a human being, I also need the approval of that person, or I also need a relationship with this person, or I also need this at work. Well, then it's grace plus this. We're singing a song that's not actually true. Or we sing, oh, I know what I'm living for. I know what I'm living for. I'm living for you. I'm living for you. I'm reaching for you. We sing that on Sunday and then we go out the rest of the week and we live for everything else and we reach for everything else that the world says is important. So we we do that a lot. Solomon says, look, that's pointless. That's meaningless. Don't don't sing the song if you don't mean to follow through with what the words are saying. Don't pray the prayer if you don't mean to follow through with what the prayer is saying. Don't make the commitment if you're not going to keep it. Going through the motions, if your heart's not in it, isn't worth anything. Talking about following Jesus isn't the same thing as actually following him. 
Those are two different things. Solomon says it doesn't do any good to talk about it if you're not actually going to do it. A couple of Sundays ago, uh, before communion, we had a time of listening uh, prayer, listening to the Lord. We asked God to bring to our hearts and our minds areas in our lives that weren't aligned with him, that weren't in harmony with what he wanted us to do and how he wanted us to be living. And as I was sitting here uh, praying and listening to the Holy Spirit, God spoke directly to me through the still small voice, the gentle whisper in my thoughts, and he said, you haven't done what I ask you to do. Now, anytime God says that, I'm gonna pay attention. Like, okay, what, what, am I, what did I miss? And he reminded me that back in January, he had called me to a season of self-denial of putting to death the self. Like this verse, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He called me to a season of putting to death self where I I would engage in in fasting consistently and and change some things about my my life and my my habits. And it was only for a season, but it was to to, uh, deny myself and walk more closely with Christ. And do you know, I never did that. Do you know what I did instead? I got a book called The Common Rule. And I ordered a copy for all the staff. And we read through that book and discussed it together in staff meetings over the course of several months. And then for some reason in my head, I thought that I had done what God asked me to do. And God reminded me two weeks ago, look, talking about it and doing it aren't the same thing. Reading a book about it and doing it aren't the same thing. Discussing it with church staff and doing it aren't the same thing. And you never did what I asked you to do. So I I need to. I need to follow through and do what he told me to do because that's when meaning comes to our faith, when we're experiencing that heart change. So how do we experience that? How do we experience a change of heart? First of all, we have to understand what a change of heart means. What does that mean? Put it this way. The value of faith is not in belief. The value of faith is in trust. That's when faith has meaning. See, faith, biblical faith, is not believing that Jesus was real. Biblical faith is believing that Jesus is right, that he's right about me, that he's right for me, that he's right about this world that we live in, and that he is the right answer to the problems that we face. That's when faith becomes meaning. That's when our hearts experience a change. When we move from believing that he was real to trusting that he is right. Then we experience a change of heart. That's what we're talking about. How do we do that? Well, we have to choose to do that. We have to choose to trust Jesus. God's not going to override your free will to bring about a change of heart in you. Now, he might do some pretty drastic things the way he did the the Apostle Paul. When he met him on the road to Damascus and and he literally knocked him down and shone a light so bright that Paul was blinded and he spoke to him audibly just to get his attention. God might do some drastic things, but he's not going to override your free will to choose to surrender to Christ. If we want to experience a heart level change, we need to choose to trust Jesus, choose to give our lives over to him. Now, Once you've made that decision, I would love to tell you that your whole heart will be changed instantaneously, but it won't be. Mine wasn't. I don't know anybody's whose was. Once you make that decision to to trust Jesus and to follow him, then he will come to you at various points throughout your life and he will say, look, this little part of your heart hasn't experienced change. 
you haven't surrendered that little part of your heart over to me. Why don't you give me that? Then he'll come by a little bit later and he'll say, look, this back room in your heart where you've kept the door locked, you've never given me the keys to that room. I want to go in there and clean it out. I need the keys to that room in your heart. Hey, look, this area of your life, it's not quite what I want it to be. I've got something better for you. He comes to us over and over and over and brings about that heart change one step at a time, a little bit here, a little bit there, until we become more and more like Christ. Now, when God speaks to you and challenges you and convicts you, he never puts you down. He always calls you up. If you hear that voice in your head that says, you're worthless, you messed up again, how dumb are you? You'll never amount to anything. God could never love you. That voice is not God's voice. Very likely that's the voice of an unclean spirit that is attacking you demonically. God's voice says things like, hey, you reacted to your wife in a way that really wasn't pleasing. You know what? You're better than that. That's not who you are. I've got something so much better for you than to lose your temper like that. Come on. You've you've got more potential than that. You can be a better person than that. Rise up. Come on, I've got it. What I have for you is so much better. That's God's voice. God's voice never puts us down. It always calls us up. When we hear God speak and we uh, decide to trust Christ and God calls us up like that, that's when we experience a change of heart and that's what brings meaning and value to our faith. Now, I want to close this message and I was trying to think of a good, uh, uh, a good conclusion for it and I, I, I came up with this illustration. Uh, a, a while back, I took the boys to a shooting range. I have four boys. My oldest is 11, my youngest is five and I took the older couple to a shooting range. Um, and I had a 22, and so we went there, and there were three targets, one on top of the other, and, and I took them, and I was showing them how to hold the, the rifle and how to aim it and all this kind of stuff, and, uh, and I gave it to one of the boys, and first shot, shot a, almost a bullseye on the bottom target, and I was like, wow, man, that's really good, and he said, dad, I was aiming for the top target. <laughs> okay. Right actions, wrong target, right? This is what Solomon's saying in this passage. You can go through all of the actions of faith and religion, but if you're aiming at the wrong target, it's meaningless. The question is, why are we Christians? Why are you following Jesus? What are you trying to accomplish? What is the purpose of your faith? What is the target that you're aiming for? Living the Christian life is not about living stress-free or being emotionally healthy or fulfilling my dreams or pursuing personal happiness or having God on my side so that I can be more successful in this world. If those are the reasons why we're living the Christian life, then it's a pointless endeavor. Everybody knows that meditation and mindfulness will reduce your stress and increase your emotional health. That's a common knowledge in our society today, meditation and mindfulness. And by the way, it doesn't matter what kind of meditation you do. It doesn't have to be biblical meditation. Any kind of meditation and mindfulness will reduce your stress and increase your emotional health. But what if meditating on God's word and spending quiet time listening to the spirit isn't about reducing my stress 
and improving my emotional health. What if that's not the point? What if the point of having a quiet time and meditating on scripture and being mindful of the spirit is to be closer to God? Now, if along that path, my stress levels are reduced and my emotional health is improved, great. But that's not the point. The point is to be closer to God. I don't read the Bible so that I can be theologically smarter. I read the Bible so that I can be closer to God. I don't come to church and sing songs and hear a sermon so that I can feel good about myself and enjoy a good Christian show. I come to church so I can be closer to God with you in his presence. See, the, the, the right actions are meaningless if we're aiming at the wrong target. And the Christian life is all about intimacy with God. Some of these other things, lower stress levels, better emotional health, greater happiness, these are side effects but the target is intimacy and relationship with God, and you can't have that without Jesus. I don't need Jesus to practice meditation and mindfulness, but I do need Jesus to be closer to God. I can't come to him unless I come through Christ. That's what brings meaning to our faith. It's coming to God in Christ, hearing him speak, and allowing the Holy Spirit to change our hearts in an ongoing, lifelong journey with Christ. If we're doing that, we will have the most meaningful and valuable faith that you could ever imagine. My faith, personally, is the most valuable thing that I have. It's the most meaningful part of my life because God is speaking and changing me, and he will do the same for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for sending your son, not so that we could be better emotional healthy wise, not so that we could uh, prosper and, and, and live longer lives, not so that we could have more success. You, you sent your son, not so that we could be morally superior to all the non-Christians in the world. You sent your son so that we could have a relationship with you. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts right now and that you would call us to move from believing that you are real to trusting that you are right so that we can be changed and transformed by the power and presence of the Spirit through Christ for intimacy with the Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.